everybody. I am back with the Practical Protection Podcast and today it is just me and I'm going to be giving you some insight into another occupation. It's going to be a shortish episode with some previously a uh, bit of a look into the armed forces and today I am going to be chatting about protection insurance for pilots which is something that we are hearing more and more about. This is the Practical Protection Podcast. So as a little bit of a background, I'm just going to give um, a few different areas when it comes to pilots, when we're looking at the protection insurance side of things. So we have your commercial pilots. So these would be your pilots who are the ones taking you on your regular holidays abroad, if we are lucky enough to be doing that. And then we also have things to consider such as test pilots or military pilots, or potentially even people just flying as part of a, a general hobby. So I'm going to chat about commercial pilots first, because it's probably the one where we've got the most um, to talk about in terms of some really, you know, sort of different things that happen with the income protection side of things. So for commercial pilots, life insurance and critical illness cover are generally going to be fine with most insurers. And what's really interesting, so this podcast is, is obviously very clearly known for speaking about what's known as a risk situation. So where insurers may be looking at something on an application for life insurance, critical illness cover, income protection and thinking, is there a, an extra risk here of this person making a claim? And a lot of the time that is focused upon a person's medical history. So what's quite interesting, if you are speaking to somebody who is a pilot, is that it's very likely that um, they have, well, their health is probably in a very, very good level. It's, it's very likely that you are going to be doing research focused upon the occupation rather than their health because they must be in very good health to be able to keep their license and to be able to continue flying. So it life insurance, critical illness cover, we should just be quite straightforward in what we're able to do, able to access most insurers, really, really positive options. Now, income protection is quite, not tricky, but it's there's just lots and lots to know and think about when it comes to pilots. So when we're talking about this, a lot of pilots will get some form of sick pay. Now, that could be um, maybe, I don't know, six months full pay. We might even see, and we've come across quite a few pilots where they get a full five years sick pay through work if they're unable to work um, and do their occupation because they are ill. And that can be a little bit confusing sometimes when we are looking at income protection policies, because I'm going to really sort of like go back into explaining the basics, just in case there are pilots that are listening to this and um, who aren't familiar with all the insurance jargon that, um, that we get used to as advisors. But with income protection, there's something known as a deferred period. And it's sometimes easier to think of that as more like a waiting time. So it's the amount of time that you are ill before the financial support from an income protection policy kicks in. And a lot of the time that can be anywhere from four weeks up to generally up to about 12 months. There are some that can go um, for a longer period than that. But for pilots at the moment, the maximum that we can usually go to is about 12 months on the deferred period for these income protection policies. So we can have a bit of an interesting thing here, because if somebody has a pilot has a six month um, sick pay from work, then that's fine. The income protection policy will be set up to kick in after six months of being ill and unable to work and then just start paying the financial support. The trickier thing is, is when we start seeing pilots who have those longer sick pays, something that's more than a year. So say the ones that we've been speaking to recently who have five years worth of sick pay. 
because at the moment, the maximum that we can do is an income protection policy with a deferred period of 12 months. So for a pilot, that can be quite interesting because they might need to, in a sense, pay for a policy that can technically, in the, the, the whole scheme of what a, a waiting period is, pay out after 12 months, but they're not going to be able to access it until those five years are over with their employer. So it kind of feels a bit like a, a logical kind of loop here. It's the case of, well, hang on, it pays out from 12 months, but I can't access it from five years, but I need it to be from five years, but I can only take it out to a maximum of 12 months. But ultimately, the way the market is working at the moment, that is the way that it's, it is set up um, with the income protection policies. If you have a pilot, they've got more than 12 months or anybody that you speak to um, who has um, an income uh, that has, sorry, a sick pay from their work that is more than 12 months for a lot of insurers, um, there is only going to be that maximum of a 12-month deferred period. So we are going to be paying for something that we can't access for a little while. And one of the reasons that this, we're seeing a lot more discussion in this area at the moment is because pilots um, also often take out something known as loss of license insurance. And people in the, the pilot community are starting to see income protection as possibly an alternative to loss of license insurance. There's, there's no issue in having both, um, but they do do very different things. So a bit of a, a breakdown to sort of help any advisors who are maybe new in this space. So loss of license insurance is basically where a pilot takes out an insurance policy for, say, a fixed amount of money, if for whatever reason their license has to be revoked. And that could be on medical grounds. So as an example, um, a pilot might take out loss of license insurance of, say, £100,000. So with that kind of insurance, the premiums are usually increasing each year as the person gets older and the amount of insurance might start to de decrease at certain ages. So somebody might take out £100,000 of insurance, but maybe at the age of 60, when they reach the age of 60, the insurer starts to say, well, actually, we're not going to insure you for £100,000 anymore. The maximum we will offer is this amount. It can potentially pay out a monthly benefit for somebody who is temporarily disabled, but this is taken out of the lump sum of money. So again, if someone's took out, say, £100,000 worth of loss of license insurance in case their pilot's license is revoked, they are placed on temporary disablement. They start taking the monthly benefit. That amount is coming out of that £100,000. So the benefits that we see with income protection is that the monthly sum assured isn't going to decrease over time. If we're able to, say, arrange a policy that's going to protect £3,000 with the monthly income, it is going to stay at £3,000 all the way up to when that policy ends. It can be locked in place to retirement age. And what's important as well is that we can lock the premium in place too. There are options where we don't do that, which they'll start off cheaper at the beginning, um, but then they will still increase with age. And it's really important to, if you are looking at that option, to see and check what the premiums are, the total premiums over the full term of the policy, um, if you are wanting to look at that option. Because the ones that are reviewable and will change over time, there's sometimes what's known in, in the insurance world as age-costed or age-banded. And actually, sometimes when you look at them and you look at the amount of insurance, that the premiums that you pay over the length of the policy, it can sometimes work out much better financially to take out the slightly higher premium now. But if you are using an advisor or you are an advisor, just have a look at those two differences between those two options because you'd be surprised at how much that can change. I do use those examples when I'm doing training for people and we can be looking at potentially tens of thousands of pounds more expense 
by taking out the cheaper premium at the start. There are a few insurers who are working in the income protection space for pilots. It's really important to do the research. Some policies will end at age 60, regardless of when the person is intending to retire. Um, some can be very expensive as well compared to other options, just because of the fact that the insurers are pricing quite highly for the occupation. And then you can get some ones that are, are much, much more affordable. The only thing is that you do usually have to access them from an advisor. They're not usually direct to consumers. So there's a little bit of a, a summary here on this kind of thing. So loss of license insurance means the license is being revoked. Um, the money is going to, to pay out once the license has been fully revoked. The differences with income protection, the license doesn't need to be revoked. It is for any reason that you are ill and cannot do your occupation. And not always set in stone, but we'd usually find that the maximum age to take out loss of license insurance is around the age of 45, whereas we can potentially take our income protection cover all the way up um, from when we are even up to the age of 59, we can potentially take that policy out. And with the income protection, I'd say it can with some insurers, they would stop it at age 60. Some we can potentially be going up to age 65, which is generally when we would expect pilots to be retiring. So now to look at some of the other ones. So maybe occupation-wise, we're going into the more risky side of things. So the test pilots, helicopter pilots, military pilots. For life insurance and critical illness cover, we are generally going to be seeing premium increases with most insurers. Not all, but the majority of them, we will be seeing that. It really does depend if you're a test pilot as well as to what options we can look at as to what type of craft aircraft you are testing. There can be nervousness around what kind of risks there are naturally. You are testing aircraft that haven't been necessarily tested significantly before. They're not as well known as some of the other aircraft who've maybe gone through decades worth of testing. And the insurers can just want to know a bit more about that. And you might even find as a test pilot that you do need to really look at some specialist options. Income protection for military pilots is very tricky and usually not available. What you would usually find is that if you are in the military, you are a pilot, you're wanting to protect your income, that you would, it's most likely going to be available if you are more on sabbatical from work within the military. Um, and for income protection for test pilots and helicopter pilots, we are talking quite specialist insurers for this. And there can be some really unique terms and conditions that it is a really good idea to have an advisor to hand to help talk them through, through those extra bits with you and make sure you fully understand what you're getting. And just another very quick thing as well, just going back to the military pilots for the second, in terms of life and critical illness cover, um, it really will depend upon things like... Um, any deployments that are upcoming, where you might be getting deployed to, things like that will be uh, things that the insurer is going to want to ask you about. And now, just toward the end, as I say, it's going to be a short episode today. We're going to be looking at pilots as a hobby. And you might sort of think, well, is this going to be, you know, particularly an issue? Because, you know, obviously we talked about military pilots here. You've said that, that can be quite straightforward, maybe even standard terms at times. Well, People who are doing um, flying as a hobby can actually find it quite difficult to get insurances, maybe more difficult sometimes um, compared to commercial pilots. And that is from the very nature that, you know, the sort of like the standards in terms of the craft, in terms of all the health and safety regulations, they are absolutely there for commercial pilots, but I'm sorry, for commercial pilots and hobby pilots. But with the commercial pilots, they've got incredible teams there, huge amounts of 
of technicians who are constantly checking the aircraft. And for someone who's doing it as a hobby, we've got a complete mix there. We've got someone who's maybe doing it as a hobby at a very specific um, center where there are all these technicians there doing these wonderful things. Or you could also just have somebody who's kind of fixing up the airplane themselves. And um, so we just need to be very conscious that this in the hobby space, we're talking like pastimes, that can be quite different. The insurers are going to want to know what kind of aircraft it is that you're flying. And usually um, we'll be talking about whether or not it's fixed wing or rotary wing. They would also want to know how many air hours are done each year, how many hours the person has in total, and if they're flying just in the UK, in the UK, sorry, or abroad too. So for life and critical illness, um, there can sometimes be options for standard terms. You know, we're not saying that it's definitely always going to be very tricky, but you know, there are options, but we are talking where there's probably not huge amounts of flying each year, and it's based in the UK as well. Not always, can't say that, always the case, but generally that is what we would be expecting. Um, for quite a lot of people, there are going to be premium increases, and these can massively change depending upon the insurer and depending upon the person's individual circumstances. So when we are getting premium increases, for somebody who's working, uh, who's who's doing sort of the, the hobby side of flying, the increases tend to happen either as a percentage or what is known in the insurance world. And, and forgive me because it's incredible jargon that's, trust me, is just as confusing for advisors as everyone else. It's something known as a per mill rating. So percentage um, simply means, as an example, if you have, let's say, I'm going to use some really, really small maths here to hopefully try and help me to explain it as clearly as possible and hopefully make it as clear for you guys as well. So let's just say we had life insurance of £5 per month offered to somebody and they are told that they're going to have a 100% increase to the policy premiums due to their flying um, as a hobby. Now, what that would mean is that that £5 becomes £10 per month. So that's how a percentage increase works. Now, per mil, I'm not going to be able to do the numbers as um, as uh, as clearly as possible because, to be honest, I forgot to try and do a per mil rating um, before I got on the episode. But I'll just explain it as to how it works. For a lot of people, a per mil rating does mean that the insurance becomes very expensive compared to that percentage. So that means the reason that whole thing is because a per mill means that the insurer is increasing the premium for every thousand pounds worth of cover that's taken out. That changes. There's different ways that they will do that. There's different numbers that are involved. It's, it's, it's a bit too tricky for me to explain here. But just as an example, if you were told that there was an extra, if you were taking out 50,000 pounds worth of life insurance, I'll try and keep it as simple as possible you might be told that you're going to have a per mil rating. So that means that when the insurer is saying, we're going to increase your premium, because you've took out 50,000, so that's 50 of those 1,000s, that premium will increase 50 times whatever that increase is being um, stated as. So then if you were taking out £150,000 worth of cover, we've got 150 of those £1,000, and that would mean that whatever that increase is, it would be done by 150 times so with the per mill, the more insurance we're taking out, the significantly more expensive the premiums tend to be. Now, for people who are in this situation and for advisors who are looking at this situation as well for their clients, 
there are options that we can do. And I'm going to say these specific options very much with my compliance hat on, okay, because there are some insurers where we can maybe say to them, right, instead of doing this per mil increase where it's going to get significantly more expensive, how about we exclude claims relating to the flying? Now, I do appreciate that anyone listening to this, they're probably going to think exactly as I think, really don't want an exclusion on these policies for flying because flying is obviously, it, you know, it can be in really safe. It can It is also more risky than, say, just generally not being in an airplane, let's put it that way. We do not want an exclusion if we can help it. But if we have somebody who's maybe the, the insurance that they really need <clears throat> is going to cost them, let's just pull a random figure out there. Let's just say it's been um, increased to £250 per month and it's just not affordable at all. They're going to have to walk away from getting the insurance. It is better for them to walk away with insurance with an exclusion on it rather than walking away with nothing. So from my compliance hat for advisors and for generally just for people who are listening, who are maybe pilots, what I would say is, and I would always say this, have a look at both options. We absolutely do not want the exclusion on there, but we absolutely don't want you to not have that insurance. So make sure you look at both. Have a look at the option, the pricing, where there is the exclusion, and have a look at the pricing where the exclusion isn't there. We would definitely want you to have that option that doesn't have the exclusion. Again, still talking about people who are doing flying as a hobby for income protection. This can potentially be available at standard terms with some insurers. It does massively depend upon the aircraft that you're flying and the amount of hours that you are doing. But you might well find that you do need to speak with an advisor to be able to access um, a policy on standard terms. So I have a bit of a case study here. And I'm going to do it based upon the income protection side of things. Just a nice short one to end off the episode for you. So we have a commercial pilot and in their early 50s and they're a non-smoker. So it's important to say non-smoker here because for anybody who isn't familiar with insurance, if you are a smoker, it's quite likely in protection insurance, that's, that means life insurance, critical illness cover income protection, that your premiums will increase potentially almost double if you are a smoker. There are times that those increases can be removed if you are able to stop smoking, stop using any form of nicotine for a certain period of time. But it's it's always just worthwhile bearing that in mind. So we've got somebody, commercial pilot, non-smoker, earning close to about £195,000 a year. So we were able to arrange an increasing income protection policy and increasing in this means um, that each year the monthly benefit that we arrange will increase to offset against um, the rate of inflation, uh, which is something we want to do to try and make sure that the, the income level is keeping track with the way that, that the worth and the value of money as time goes on. You might see that as known as RPI linked cover or even potentially CPI linked cover. So we've arranged increasing income protection of £4,750 per month. And we also arranged a claim that was able to last to retirement age, some policies will maybe say, well, you can claim a maximum of two years or maximum even of five years per claimable event. But with income protection, for the majority of people, we want it to potentially pay all the way to retirement age. 
You will find that a lot of pirates will retire at the age of 65, but some will want to retire earlier. And for this person that we supported, they have full intention to retire at the age of 60. So again, let us put my compliance hat on for advisors. What we did is we gave the client both options. And we said, look, technically, you might, you know, circumstances change. You might not retire until age 65. This is the price. This is the price for age 60, because we do appreciate that that is your financial plan. And they did decide to go for that age 60 option. So as I say, they're in the early 50s, something happens to them and they're unable to work due to ill health. Then the insurer is going to step in and pay them their income all the way potentially to the age of 60 if they can never work again for their occupation. For this person, we put in place a 26 week deferred period because they got full sick pay for six months from their employer. And this ended up leaving a policy with a guaranteed monthly premium of £89 per month. Thank you for listening, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed this little short one. Um, do let me know if you are enjoying the little bit of uh, insights into different occupations, because I, I do tend to focus upon health for this podcast. Um, but it'd be really good to know if you do find these useful as well. Next time, I'm going to be back with Matt Van, and we are going to be talking about sickle cell and protection insurance. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And don't forget that if you have listened to this as part of your work, you can claim a CPD certificate on the website as well. Thanks to our sponsors, the Ox members. Thank you, everybody. Bye.